This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 458th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is an actress and producer who is just 36 but has already been working in Hollywood for 30 years, making her name on the television sitcoms Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, which ran on ABC from 2002 through 2005, and The Big Bang Theory, one of the most popular shows of the 21st century, which ran on CBS from 2007 through 2019 for 279 episodes, the longest run of any multicam sitcom in TV history. Her most recent show, however, is a single-camera dark comedy, HBO Max's The Flight Attendant, a program about a stewardess who finds herself in terrifying circumstances and then has to figure her way out of them. She has both starred on and, for the first time in her career, served as a producer on that show, the first season of which dropped in 2020 and brought her the first Emmy noms of her career for Best Comedy Series and Best Actress in a Comedy Series, and the second season of which dropped this year, and has returned her to the latter Emmy race. USA Today, in reference to the second season, wrote that she, quote, is superb, perhaps even better than last year's performance, close quote. She, of course, being Kaylee Cuoco. Over the course of our conversation, Cuoco and I discussed how she first got into the business and why she was so impacted by her early work with and the sudden death in 2003 of her Eight Simple Rules co-star John Ritter, how she wound up on The Big Bang Theory, despite the fact that she wasn't cast in the original pilot of the show, and what it was like, once she was brought on as Penny, being part of such a huge and long-lasting hit. Why she was so nervous about her move away from sitcoms for The Flight Attendant, and why she decided to return to it for a second season, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Kaylee, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Great to have you. And uh, on this one, we always begin truly at the beginning. If you could share with our listeners, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Uh, hey, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I was born in Ojai, California. Uh, my dad was a paramedic for years and, um, and now um, he's in real estate. And my mom has been a mom as long as I can remember. Um, and she still is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The best, best parents, they're still together and awesome. And, um, I'm very lucky. And were you, uh, an only child or siblings grown up? No, my sister's three years younger than me, my sister, Brie, and, um, our birthdays are a day apart. We used to have our mom, our parents used to make us do birthdays, like the same party. We used to be so <laughs> mad about it and so angry. It was a way to save money. And now that we're older, we do our birthdays together. <laughs> now we like it. We didn't like it then, but we like it now. Well, prepping for, for this, I, I was amazed to learn. I didn't realize just how long you've been doing this. This is basically, I, I think, like your 30th year in the business. Yes. Um, yes. So happy anniversary, first of all. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, but also like in all seriousness, how does somebody at, at, I believe, six get started doing, you know, commercials and modeling? What was the, did somebody spot you or did you guys go after it or just how did it begin? Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question. It, it, I actually still wonder to this day how it truly, truly started, but I did a lot of sports when I was little. Um, I loved tennis. I did all this. I was involved with animals, all these different things. And then, you know, auditioning was just another thing that I did. Um, my parents asked me if I wanted to go on auditions and do commercials. And I really wanted to, they used to record me on like their big camcorder. And we do all these like practice rounds of going in, you know, in front of people and saying my name and all this stuff. And they knew very early on that I liked the camera <laughs> and they were like, oh, um, and so I would kind of 
I'd go on auditions, but then I'd go away to like tennis camp and I did all these different things. So even at a young age, if I didn't get a job or something, nothing was like the end of the world. Um, I've probably said this multiple times in interviews, but my mom was always like not all eggs in one basket. I was always had multiple baskets and friends and, um, you know, we never, we never got up too involved in anything. Like it was all, we were really scattered until I remember very specifically being sat down by my parents saying, do you really want to do this? You know, you're getting a little, I mean, I was really young still, but I understood they were like, this is a real job. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, there was never it, it was never a choice in my mind. Like they gave me the choice and they're like, okay, this is the life. Are you sure? And if you ever want to stop, you let us know. Um, and so I, I said, I wanted to do it. And that was it. Like there was never a decision. It just felt like what was in my soul. Well, so I know there were, you know, some of the kind of early credits that people may not even uh, know about because we didn't really know who you were back then. But I mean, Northern Exposure was a big series. Little, you were playing uh, the little version of Ellen DeGeneres on Ellen in the 90s. You were yes. the young Claire Danes on My So-Called right. Life in 94, all of this. So that conversation about, do you know, do you want to do this? Do you have any idea when along the line that happened? Was it once these things were already starting to, obviously you were, you were clicking in some way. So when, when did that happen? It was when I got, I did, I did a film that we thought was going to be like the next biggest film of all time. It was called Virtuosity. <laughs> and yeah, um, it was, no one knew who Russell Crowe was. It was his first American film. And, but Denzel Washington was starring. Uh, and I got this role in it. I, I, to play Kelly Lynch's daughter where Denzel saves me. And it was like a huge deal. And that I remember my parents sat me down because at that time it was a huge movie. Of mm -hmm. course it did not do huge. <laughs> but at the time it was like, and so they, they were like, this is like a really big deal. You're going to be going to work and like, you're going to a set. You got big professional actors. Like it was more of a sit down of like, you're not just shooting a commercial. It was a big deal. And they just were very clear with me. This is a job. It's not playtime in a sense. And I totally got it. And I, what's funny about virtuosity is I remember every second of shooting that. Every second. <laughs> How old were you? I believe I was eight. Oh, wow. wow I believe wow. I was eight. I might have been eight or like maybe. Yeah, I think I was eight. I have to look it up. But yeah, I remember it clearly. I even remember at the time a red Mustang was my favorite car. Don't ask me why or why an eight-year-old <laughs> would want that. But Denzel had like a ton of cars and he yeah. had a red Mustang. And I had told him when we were shooting, I said, I saw your red Mustang. It's my favorite car. So he asked my mom if he could drive me around the lot and show me the car. And my mom was That's like, awesome. and, and he took me for a ride around. We we're at Paramount. I remember it. Like I did it last week. That's what's so weird. That but is I can't awesome. remember where I put my keys. Yeah. <laughs> well, so <laughs> as, as these roles are, you know, accumulating as, as a kid, uh, are you still in regular school? Are you homeschooled? I know you ended up, I believe, graduating probably from high school earlier than the rest of us who, who were on a kind of average, normal trajectory. Uh, but what was your, what was your kind of education like as a kid? Yeah. I, so at that, at the eight, nine, 10, I was, I was still in regular school. So I would go out of school and, you know, do set schooling and whatever. And then as I got a little bit older, a little bit older being 13, 14, 15, that's when I knew school was not for me. I also hated school. I, I was very <laughs> clear about that. Like I was not one of those kids. It wasn't even fun for me socially. Like I got my social itch from shooting and working. And so I, at like 14 and 15, I like begged my parents. I said, can I, cause I had heard the, the thing at that time, God, I don't even know what kids are doing these days, but there was, you would take your high school proficiency test and you get a GED and all this stuff. And, you know, all my friends in the business were doing all this. And I begged my parents, I'm like, and I gave them the reasons. I'm like, this is what I want to do. Can I graduate early? And they were like, they said, yes, like, yes, they, they must've known deep down that I knew that this was going to be my life. I mean, I don't know if I could have been that brave and said, yeah, just go graduate and work. Like, I don't know. Well, but especially because at, at that age, I mean, it could go either way. You might not have continued to work if you became gangly or whatever, it right? It still can go either way, okay? <laughs> no, we're never, you're never safe in this business, okay? I'm never comfortable. But at that time, 
I convinced them and yeah, they let me do it. And I, I, I mean, I say I graduated with ginormous finger quotes right now because <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> legal that actually was. Um, but anyway, yeah, I did it. And so then I didn't have to do set school. So it was like a different thing and I could work more hours and not work as a kid. And it changed a lot for me. Well, I think the time that you graduated roughly coincided with the probably the next biggest thing since virtuosity which was being cast on eight simple rules or i yeah. guess the full full title eight simple rules for dating my teenage daughter just to remind people this is 2002 to 2005 on abc you are a teenage daughter of this columnist played by john ritter and the nurse katie seagal and uh i guess how big a deal was it to to get that part at that time so at the time I was up for, um, it was pilot season and I was up for another pilot and it was called, it was also at ABC, it was at Disney, ABC, and it was called the Funkhousers. And I believe Danny DeVito was in it. I, I believe I'd have to look it up, but I was up for the daughter and I had gone back again. I don't even know what happens now, but I had to go back to network and test and like then be chemistry read with the family. And like, this was a long process, very arduous. It was like me and one other girl and this went on and on and on. And it was supposedly going to be the next big thing that like the most funniest pilot script all season. So we all convinced I was getting it. It was really, really killing me. I end up not getting it. And I was so soul crushed. I remember going home and I didn't even want to get out of bed. I, I was so depressed. And like at 16, like I, that was the first time I truly felt a loss of a job. I'd never really cared until that point got me. And I, I was 16. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like this, it really hurt me. Um, and like the next day, my agent called, who I'm still with today, of the same team my whole career. That's amazing. I saw that yeah. since 15. Incredible. Literally. So my agent, Ro, who I'm still with today, called me. She goes, there's another another show that um, ABC has. It's called Eight Simple Rules, and they want to see you for it. And I was so like, I didn't want to go. Um, and so I ended up going in and auditioning, and I end up getting that pilot. And those two pilots were the only ones that Disney shot that ABC yeah. shot. And of course, Funkhausers never Did heard of go. again. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> of course, you- <laughs> like all this like meant to be crazy. And I don't know if you know this, but it was supposed to, John Goodman was supposed to be the dad in Eight Simple Rules. I did not know and that. Yeah. Whoever knows why he pulls out, no one knows why. And we're waiting to hear like, so all the kids and Katie Seagal, we were all cast and we hear John has pulled, John Goodman has pulled out and we finally hear through the grapevine, you know, there was no like social media <laughs> and like, yeah, right. you know, the, you know, deadline, there was nothing to right. read. So we hear John Ritter's joining the show. And for me, I didn't even know who that was. Right. And you know, my parents are like, we love John Ritter. And I'm like, <laughs> who is that? Like, this is so, who is what? And I'm kind of learning no idea. And what ends up the best year of my whole life with him. I mean, I, I remember I was 16 I just got my license. And again, I begged my parents to let me drive myself to the table read because I really was, I was just starting to drive by myself. So they let me and I drove by myself to the table read. And because the character was so sexy, I thought, okay, I should probably dress like the way I got it. Right. So I had these like ridiculous outfit on and I'm sitting at the table read and John has not arrived. Everyone's waiting. And in comes John larger than life. He's saying hi to everybody. And I'm like so excited, nervous to meet him. And he walks over and I'm sitting in the chair and I'm like, hi. And he goes, he looks at me, doesn't say one thing, takes his jacket off, puts it over me and says, <laughs> never dress like that again. And goes and sits down. And like, we, I was dying in that moment. He was like a dad to me. Yeah, yeah. It was the best. And it was, you know, he was with us for a year of that show and two episodes into the following season. And like, it was one of the most hilarious, fun years transformative years for my career, um, ever. Well, and, and again, this is just from a human side of things, like you're again, 16 and you say he was like, you know, like a dad for that year. And obviously, you know, even if he was just a regular, you know, a co-star who you weren't close with, I'm sure it would be very jarring what, what happened on September 11, 2003, when out of the blue, uh, we lost him. And I 
wonder though for you how you would say it affected you because I know that I've seen things where you've talked about you know he gave you some of the best advice you've ever received stuff that you still use um on and on about that but I mean the, the there there's there's that personal consideration but then there's also you guys are are a hit show that has to go on in some way and I, I remember this is for people who need a reminder it's a half hour sitcom but you guys did a hour long no laugh track episode for the one first time back after that when James Garner's there and all of that. So I guess I, it's a long question, but I mean, and I'm sorry to revisit what I'm sure is a, a really sad moment, but it seems like he was, you know, that would have been a kind of transformative moment in time. You know what? I, I'm sure, you know, I get asked about this so many times over the years and I talk about him all the time. I, it's still very real to me, which is so crazy, but I was actually the last actor on to rehearse with him because we were rehearsing. This was a Thursday. I remember it like it was yesterday and I, I'm very open about it because it's such a crazy story. But Peter Bogdanovich was directing this episode. Wow. And Henry Winkler was in the episode. And I was doing a scene with Henry, John, and Peter. And we were, when I tell you, Scott, the 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 my face probably still hurts 20 years later with how hard I was laughing <laughs> at what they were doing. And I'm sitting there and I'm 16, so I don't really know a lot of these, but they are, you know, it's like old friends all together. And I'll never forget watching John with Henry and Peter, two of his best friends, and having this unbelievable day. And I'm like, I got to, I happened to be in this storyline where I was with them. Um, it was just magic. And then, yeah, it was a it was a Thursday. And at that time we shot Friday nights. And so we had heard John was sick. They wasn't feeling well. And the weird part about it is he actually, that when they told us all to go home on the Thursday that John was sick, we were going to take the rest of the day off. He came and knocked on all of our dressing room doors to say goodbye to us. He'd never oh done that God. the entire year. Like he, he made a point to come up, which to this day, I'm convinced he knew something was very serious. And later, months later, the rest of the cast told this their own version of the story. We didn't know he had gone into everyone's room. Wow, wow, wow. It was unreal. I was like, wait, he went in my room. And we, we all had the same story. So he had gone in and he told me he loved me that day. And he hugged me. He's like, I love you. I, love, I was like, I love you too. I'm like, feel better. And it was that sort of thing. So then Thursday night, you know, again, no, so I had a cell phone in my car for emergencies, but it was not like a regular thing. And so late at night, our house phone kept ringing. And something possessed me to go into my car and look at my car phone. And I was 16, mm -hmm. 17, 16, 17. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to go look at my car phone, which, and I went in there and there was like 20 missed calls. And my parents, we never answered the home phone and the home phone kept ringing. They're like, I think you need to answer. So my dad answered the phone. This is the weirdest story. At the time, I was dating a guy, he's an actor named Kevin Ziggers, who's still one of my dear friends. Yeah, yeah. Kevin was living with us. So Kevin is at my house. This is so insane. And my dad gets this call from production and they tell him what happened. He goes and tells Kevin, you need to drive her because we all were meeting on the stage and they didn't want it to, because I lived so far away. They didn't want to tell me. So I thought we that John was very sick and we had to have a meeting about what we were going to do for the rest of the weekend. So my dad knows now that John has died. Tells my boyfriend at the time to drive me to Burbank and do not say anything to me until we get out of the car. Did he know? Kevin knew. Yes, he told okay. Kevin. Kevin drives me. I get out of the car and I open the door and I'm like, and I'm not even clicking that this is so weird that it's 10 o'clock at night. Like it was not hitting me at all. I get out of the car and I just hear people screaming like, like they had witnessed a, a crash and I still had no idea. And Kevin's trying to catch up with me and he's like, what? and then I walk in and I see Owen looking at me and they're all, I'm like, what happened? And I, you're just starting to hear John, John, John. And it was like this wave of like, John's dead, John's dead. Like, all of a sudden it was, it was the most bizarre, insane thing. And it was so late at night and all the news started coming in. And then the next morning without anyone saying to do it, every single person met up on our stage at Disney. And there was like a thousand people on the stage and someone had gone in and put up pictures of him. It was crazy. Someone must've been there all night. 
everyone was on this stage. I mean, I'm talking people had nothing other. It was unbelievable. And we just sat there in this huge like circle, his family, everyone was there and started telling John stories and the amount of people, everyone, people were standing up and it's like the stories of like the mailman who would be like, John said hi to me every day. And these people had these stories like our craft service. Oh, John always came in and told me he loved the lunch today. Like people that you wouldn't even think about are like, have a story about John. That's what he did. John used to say to me, he was so famous. And especially with like, people would come up to him, especially like moms and dads. And like, they want to talk to him and they love his shows. And he'd take a thousand photos. He would never, ever say no. And he used to walk, he'd walk over to me. He'd go, you might not remember, but they will. Mm -hmm. And I always remembered that. It's like, you're right. I might not remember someone coming up to me, but that one moment, they're going to go tell every, like, that's their moment. But that was John. I watched him do that over and over and over and over again. Um, he was so nice to people. And he literally hours would go by. He'd be greeting people and saying hello. And he'd go meet the VIP tours. And it was just, it was crazy. We had a press day at Disney because we were an ABC show. And part of the day was after we did press, we got to walk through the park. So me, John, the rest of the cast, we couldn't get to any ride because uh, hundreds of people wanted to talk to John and he wouldn't say no. So we, we couldn't go anywhere. Um, I, that's how I am now. Like I, I, but it was from him. Like he was unbelievable. The way he would like during episode live tapings, how he would fuck up on purpose and make everyone (laughs) just we would be crying. And I knew he knew what he was doing. Like he was keeping our audience entertained. He knew exactly right. what he was doing. Cause if anyone's listening who, who doesn't know, I mean, the, these multi-cam sitcoms are actually, yeah. I mean, sometimes there's, there's canned laughter, but you guys were always in front of a live audience, right? Very real. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very so, real. And we would be just dying laughing and he had us in stitches um, every single day. And to this day there, I think I laugh thinking of some of the stupid things he used to say. I mean, it still <laughs> kills me. Well, so to then, I don't know how soon after this it was, but to then have to go back to work on the show that obviously, I mean, he was central to, um, how do you do that? Yeah, it was weird. We, so we got the family's consent. We were like, what do you want us to do? And we talked to the whole family and they were like, he would never want you because the show was so good at that time, especially his, his wife, Amy was like, he would never want you guys to stop. Like she was very adamant about that. So we did this, like you said, this one hour, very serious episode about our dad dying. Um, and that's when James Garner joined the show, David Spade. It was really an interesting, we didn't know what we were doing, but it was an honor to, it was to do it and to have this, we played it like our dad died. Um, and it was incredible. We, I kind of thought the show was done after that. And then we didn't the rest of the season and, you know, we did, what we could, it was never the same, but I do believe John would never have wanted us to stop. I think, um, I think he kind of likes that it didn't work without him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say well, that, but he yeah. does not want us to stop. Um, right. he's always going to be the center of attention. Well, it's, it's, uh, interesting that after the show ended, I believe for the only time on television, except for when you started Flight Attendant, you briefly went to a non-sitcom format with the last season of Charmed. And I guess I wonder, you know, um, did you like working that way in contrast to the way you had been working on? Uh, Because obviously right after that, so, so just again, the chronology, you end on Eight Simple Rules in 2005, Charmed is also starting in 2005, ends in 2006, and 2007 is when Big Bang happens for 12 years. So basically, that was until the flight attendant, that was a unique experience. Yeah, Charmed was a unique experience. You know, they were like, we're doing this last season, we want to add another um, another actress, and it was like this whole thing, and I was so nervous about that because, you know, the girls are so tight, and like, I was like, how am I going to fit into this? But it was, it was a good experience. I made friends on it, and it was definitely, um, it, it wasn't, I prefer sitcom land. Well, mm-hmm. I guess not anymore, but <laughs> it was a tough job. Like, it was a lot, it was, you know, charm, a lot of green screen, a lot of stuff right. I wasn't really used to. Um, but it was a good experience. The girls, Alyssa Milano was great. I'll never forget, like, 
I remember I had to come in. Can you imagine? I had to come in the first day and meet these girls at a gallery shoot. Like, are they trying to? So they're already doing photos together. And here comes Blondie (laughs) rolling in. And I got to go join, literally join the photo. I haven't even met these women. (laughs) I was so sick to my stomach. I could have thrown up. I was so nervous. And I'll never forget. I walked in the makeup room. I really thought I was going to throw up. And Alyssa saw me, Alyssa Milano, and she jumped up and literally ran over and basically tackled me. I'm so glad you're here. How are you? Like she immediate love and made me feel so warm and welcome, but I was terrified. I was <laughs> terrified. Um, yeah, that was very scary. Well, so then, you know, as I just referenced, there's this, um, I guess, first adult, really, truly adult chapter of your life in the business where you're 21 and you start on Big Bang Theory. With, but I want to just, people should understand, you were not, I believe, originally cast. There was, this is an unusual, very unusual story for network television that there was a pilot that didn't get ordered, right? But then they, so they, they were asked to do it over because your part, I guess, this this part of Penny needed to be different than it was in the original yeah. pilot, right? And I auditioned for the original pilot. Oh. So I read for it and I didn't get it. And Chuck, who I'd known prior, I'd worked with him on something else. He was like, we're going to find something to do together. I'm like, all good. Like, I, I wasn't attached. I just didn't get it. And then it, it was a year later. They shot the pilot. And it was written. It wasn't even Penny. It was Katie. That was the character's name. Like, it was written very differently. And the whole show was different, to be honest. Um, and then it came back around. Like, I don't even know the timeline, but it was not quick. Like, time had passed. And they're like, they're revamping Big Bang. I was like, didn't I audition for like, it was so <laughs> weird. And they're like, yeah. And they brought me in to, to read for Chuck again. And then immediately brought me to network. And I was up against who, uh, what was her name? It was so wild to me. Cause I was like such a fan. She used to be on Saved by the Bell. Oh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. No, the other one, Jesse. Oh, 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 from Showgirls. Yeah. Elizabeth Her. Elizabeth Her. Yes. Well, Elizabeth yes, um, yes, yeah. Her. <laughs> yeah, I know who you mean. Uh, yeah, no, I know who you mean. I know you mean. It was me and her. It was wow. me and her at Network. So I was like, this is like two totally different people. How is this going to go down? <laughs> and I remember, too, sitting there in the waiting room and I met Jim. And at the time, it was right before, like, iPhones were big. And he had this... Um, giant blackberry and I'm sitting next to him didn't know him at all and he's going like this on his phone he's like and I'm like you are right over there and he's like I just I got this new phone and it's so confusing and, and he starts going off on this thing and I was like wow well that's Sheldon if I ever <laughs> Sheldon. if I had to imagine what Sheldon is right, that's right. probably him right I mean in the chair he was Sheldon now, did you read opposite him or it was just separately? Yes. Ca- you did. I did. I read opposite him um, and we did those chemistry reads and everything. And yeah, I'll never forget when I got that. I was like, oh, my God. And even at the time when we shot that pilot and Jimmy Burroughs directed it, it was so brilliantly directed. It was so funny and so sweet and silly and all these things. And I just had this feeling. I'm like, I think this is going to go. So then we go, we do eight episodes that we think I'm thinking I'm just the hottest shit ever. And the writer strike hits. <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, yeah. it's over. Like we were, I said goodbye to everyone. I'm like, we thought this is over. This is never gonna, we're not coming back. We don't have enough. It was like three months you guys had to shut down, I think. Yes. It was a lot. Like it really, I thought we weren't going to get asked to come back. Um, but Chuck will say to this day, he thinks that the airlines saved us because they started airing us on planes during that time. And oh, wow. people started seeing, it was only eight episodes. <laughs> These are eight episodes. And people started seeing us, whether they liked it or not, because they're stuck on the plane. Right, Gotta watch. Right, right. Um, like, what's this weird show? And for some reason, it got like more attention over that time. Well, I know another theory, correct me if this sounds wrong to you, but like it was it was doing okay for the first two seasons, but it sounds like it really was as a result of, I guess, during summer 
repeats after the second season. There was a time when it was moved after Two and a Half Men because there was a presidential address or something, and then it just blew up, right? Yes, it 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 was it kind of was a neat show at the beginning. Like a, it felt small, but the people that watched were like they loved it, right? Yes. But it wasn't big. Like it was just this really weird, quirky. Certain people loved it. No one really knew. And yeah, it, and that was after a couple years. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what the hell happened. I think <laughs> what you just said is a big part of it. It blew up. Like we were like this late bloomer. All of a sudden, it was everywhere. We were everywhere. And I remember going to Comic-Con and I remember anyone that knows Comic-Con, Hall H, you're the king <laughs> of Comic-Con if you get Hall H, okay? Right. It's like the avatar. So I remember we got we got told we were going to be in Hall H and Chuck had a sit down with us because he was so worried we were going to walk in and there was going to be like 30 people. He's <laughs> like, I just want to warn you, this is a huge hall. We don't expect to feel like he was really worried about our mental health going into this being like, no one loves us. I remember driving, oh my God, it's such a sweet memory. I remember driving in the bus to Hall H with the whole cast and we're driving and I just see this line for miles and, and I'm, I'm with Johnny. I'm like, what do you think they're waiting to see? Johnny's like, I don't know. Like there must be a big movie and we're, and the publicist is sitting there and I'm like, who, what, who are they waiting for? And she goes, they're waiting for you. Oh wow! And wow. literally I could, Johnny and I looked at each other and like, our eyes got, are literally filled up with tears. That whole place was waiting for our cast. And we had no idea. We thought they were for there for someone else. It was just <laughs> the sweetest, weirdest realization in that moment. That's amazing. And I mean, just to contextualize how huge it ended up being, this is 12 seasons over 12 years, 279 episodes, which is the most of any multicam sitcom in TV history, past Cheers, which was 275. Um, and for the four people who didn't watch it, uh, you were playing Penny, the street smart neighbor of these book smart guys. Um, and I, I guess you obviously had that multicam experience with eight simple rules before you went into this, but was this different? I guess you're, you're now maybe even more front and center. I, I think it's fair to say than before, um, you are, it's a, it's a it's just obviously a totally different show. So I just wonder um, how how did you acclimate to to doing it in that format? I felt so comfortable. I had done so much audience stuff before that I, I really that was truly my home. Like I love that sort of thing. I'm also so quick in my brain and on my toes that I like the whole run in and give me a rewrite and get out. Like I love that. I'm I work that way. I'm like that in my own life, like boom, 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 can't slow me down. So sitcom is like great for me. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, it was a come also just with our cast. Obviously, it expanded over the years, but we were such the way we worked together. It was just music every single time. I remember like we'd have these table reads and guest stars would come on and bless their hearts. They had no idea how full out we would go at a table read. Like it was almost like they were like, they leave with like their, like when you're on like a motorcycle and you don't know what just right. happened to your face. Right. And they're like, do we like, and it's no one's fault. We just had this like rhythm and Chuck, you know, he set this amazing standard and it was a dance with this cast. Like we, halfway through this, after we threw the show, we didn't even have to barely rehearse anymore. Like we knew it's like we knew each other's movements. It was truly neighbors and family and all this stuff. And yeah. um, it was unbelievable. And I mean, we would do episodes. You hear about nightmare, you know, sitcoms that you have seven hours in front of an audience and half the audience is leaving. And like, I trust me, I've been there on show. I understand. We would do like two hour tapings and we'd be showing them extra stuff to, to like give them bang for their buck. Like, <laughs> you know, um, you know, watch this or an old episode or like, and Johnny and I, we, we have this routine. Actually, it started very early in our show, like early season. One night was taking really long, which was very unlike our show. And we decided to go climb up into the audience and just say thank you and apologize that the night had gotten a little long. So the two of us climbed up there and it became so special. We did it every single show night wow. for the next 10 years. It was even on the schedule. It was like, blah, blah, um, this, this, Kaylee and Johnny talk to audience, boom, boom, boom. Um, it just became this unbelievable, we would climb up there and we'd answer questions or we'd just thank the audience or we would, you know, whatever we needed to feel like we needed to do. And I'll never forget, well, I'm jumping to the end, we can go back, but at our finale, mm -hmm. 
it was our last time to go do that. And we climbed to the top and you could hear a pin drop. I mean, it was dead silent. And my dad, by the way, rewind, my dad never missed a taping in 12 years. Oh, wow. wow. He had his own director's chair and he sat up in the audience every Tuesday night for 12 years. Wow. Um, I always got a thumbs up for my curtain call. So he was up there and we climbed up and it was so dead silent on that stage. And I looked back and the entire crew, network studio, they were all, it was like ants. They filled the stage up to where they could touch us to listen to our last five minute talk to this audience. And it was just unbelievable. Like it was so special. And I think those memories, it's the same like with John being like, I don't remember who was in that audience, but they're going to go home and be like, you know, they came up and they talked to us and like, it was like these really special memories that we got to make. How would you pinpoint, like if a college class is being taught, which it probably already is being taught about the big bang theory, if not, it will be one of these days. Um, But like, what do you think made it click so much at a time when TV viewership was beginning to become as fragmented as as it is, you know, now nobody watches anything in large numbers, but anymore, but they were watching you guys in the kinds of numbers that were, you know, uh, reminiscent of the nineties before all these other, other things to do came along. So what do you think the reason was that, that audience members clicked so much with a show, which on paper, I guess, you know, a, a group of kind of nerds and all that, like it's, it just, I don't think it was in any way obvious. No, I know. I know. Look, it all starts with great writing. The writing was brilliant. Chuck Lorre, if you want a hit sitcom, go work with Chuck. Um, or apparently a hit show and yes. any any show. What am I saying? Not just sitcom. Um, so it starts with him. The writing was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And then you get this unbelievable cast of these misfits. And, you know, yes, on paper, it's like, what is this? Two nerds live next to a hot blonde. Like, it <laughs> seems so silly. And come on, like, this is not. And that's kind of how it started. And it grew. We got lucky enough. Look, there are wonderful pilots out there that don't go. There are so many shows that are like, God, why is it? Why don't more people watch that show? Like, how do you not know about that show? Right. We got this a little bit of luck um, and this amazing group of misfits that I feel like they just captured everyone's soul. People wanted them to succeed. They were, they were the underdogs. They were the losers. It was like, oh my God. And then what was great about the Penny character, which is what they didn't have in that original pilot, this girl who was so cool in real life, who never judged them from the minute she met them, just being a neighbor, the first scene, let's have lunch, goes over to their, you know, looking at their stuff and kind of laughing and being the audience of like being so, these guys are so interesting. She never judged them. And and I think that's why everyone fell in love with her. And in return, they fell in love with these guys and you just wanted them to succeed. And then we got more years and they start dating and then they start, you're just growing up with these dudes. Um, they captured your soul, but it starts with great writing and we got lucky. We just really, you got to have a little bit of luck in there. Well, let's also talk about how your character specifically evolved, because I just want to read back a couple of quotes that I thought were interesting from over the years. Rolling Stone at one point writes, in the first few episodes, especially Penny is basically just a sexual fantasy for new neighbor Leonard. She even uses a shower in the pilot because her pipes don't work. Over time, the writers would start throwing her some jokes, particularly as Penny developed an unlikely friendship with Sheldon. But it took the addition of two more regular female characters in the fourth season for Penny to be treated as a funny person first, rather than as the sexy girl who inexplicably hung out with these nerds, close quote. Then the New York Times later on says, quote, her intellectual strengths and emotional vulnerabilities gained depth and the belly shirts and short shorts of the early days often gave way to sweatpants and T-shirts, close quote. And then you said, quote, especially toward the end of the show, it was mostly my voice and my personality, close quote. So how did did you notice? Did you actively uh, advocate for this kind of growth in her or is that just the way it worked out? It was natural. I mean, look, these writers, specifically Chuck, they got to know us over the years. Your voice starts to become, I mean, all kind of starts to become one. And my friendship with Jim, and then they were like, well, this is kind of funny, Penny and Sheldon, and that kind of grew. And then Penny and Letter Dating. But as the years went on, yes, she was the cute girl next door and kind of didn't have a lot of jokes, a little the straight man and blah, blah, blah. That grew and grew and grew until she, well, what she earned, what I loved about it 
was by the middle towards the end, she could make fun of them because she earned it. She could roll her eyes and be like, oh my God. Because we earned that at the beginning because everyone, we knew she loved them and all these different things. You can't do that right at the beginning. You can't come out the gates that way with a, with an eye roll. You can't do that. No one's going to trust you. No one's going to like that character. So I love that Penny grew, but it, it became me. Like the guys or the writers saw how I was with the guys and how I'd make fun of them and how they would, by the way, these guys made fun of her constantly. Like they were <laughs> bullying her. Right. We didn't talk about that enough. Like the way, the, how they made fun of her for being dumb or being this or whatever, laughing behind her back. Like they were the ones actually being mean to her. But there was such a unbelievable respect over the years. And it just started feeling more and more real. These scenes felt real. The eye rolls, the laughs, the tears. Um, I don't know. It was extremely organic. I didn't have to fight for any of it. Even... Look, I was 21 when I started. You got these little cute outfits and blah, blah, blah. You're the cute. You grow up. She's getting a job. She's getting married. She. It's like 12 years of someone's life. I mean, the right. amount of hairstyles I went through. People, <laughs> that alone could, I could write a book on. Well, so, you, you know, not only is she evolving over 12 years, but at the end of that 12 years, you have a must, – must have felt like a kind of – jarring moment where nobody works in TV for 12 years on on anything. You guys go out on top. This is 18 million, eight, excuse me, 18 million people tune in for the series finale. Um, and I, I've read things where you said like you you didn't take vacations and stuff because you love you loved what you were doing, but you were just this was your life. And suddenly life. after 279 episodes, it's over. So what is that moment like for you like as it's ending and also as you're thinking about how do you follow something like that? It was crazy. I mean, we thought we were doing a, thir a 13th season. We thought we were going to do a 13th season and be done. That was kind of the thought. And then obviously that's not what happened. And, you know, Jim was done and we, all these things kind of it was definitely a shock. Now, what was kind of good about it? We heard this at the beginning of season 12. So it wasn't like it was we wrapped and then we're like, wait a minute, what? So we had this like whole year to like really accept it, mourn it, be in the moment, give extra hugs, go to extra dinners. Like it was kind of, you don't really get that. You, you We had a whole year and we did a flash mob. I mean, I, I made the crew do all this crazy shit. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was really a, a blessing. I mean, for me... I don't know where I'd be with flight attendant if it didn't end when it ended. Like there's such a bigger plan, obviously at that time, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like eight months out of the year, this is all I did. I went there every day, like every single day for so long. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? And my team a few years prior had been <laughs> prepping me like, you know, big bang will end at some point. So <laughs> what do you want to do? I'm like, ah, you know, it just felt like it was never going to end. I'm like, we'll figure it out. And all of a sudden it did, but I had option flight attendant a year before. Um, but I, who knows if I would have even shot flight attendant, if we shot this for another year or would have right. been COVID. I mean, I think of all these crazy things. Um, but it was definitely meant to be, I think we ended on the right note. I'm glad that we decided it beginning of the season. So we could kind of, then every episode really had a lot of meaning. Um, they could build the whole season out to what we ended up doing at the end, uh, which I loved. And it ended up being extremely special and it was the right thing. Yeah. So you had started, as you mentioned, I guess the, when your team's urging you, you know, think a little bit beyond this. Um, I guess that's when you start your production company, which you had not produced things before. Now Ever. you're, you know, I, I guess it's a pretty incredible story of just how flight attendant crosses your radar and then like, okay, I have the rights to something. What the hell do I now do with it? Can you walk us through that that process of how it first crossed your radar and then what, what you did do with it? So, yeah, no, it's exactly what happened. So going back to that conversation with my team who kept saying, listen, what is next? Do you want to option a book? Do you want to do another sitcom? Like, what do you want to do? Um, you know, keep your eyes open for articles, all these things. Now I've never produced, I had, when we had a lot of opportunities during Big Bang to do these production companies, which I believe my entire cast took very early on. I did not, I had no interest in it. It wasn't for me, didn't want to do it. Um, and I knew if I ever did, I would commit, but I, no. I said, if I find something, I said, I'm not just going to do it to do it. I don't even have a project to produce. Like, I hate that shit. You got to have a reason. <laughs> so I was, I was skimming upcoming books on Amazon one night on my phone and I'm looking, looking, 
and the cover of Flight Attendant comes up. And the cover of it is this blonde girl. It doesn't look anything like me, but this is really cool cover. And of course, I immediately was like, I like that cover. <laughs> so I, I open it and it, it gives me two sentences on it. And it was something yeah. like, you know, fun loving, drunk flight attendant wakes up next to the wrong body in the wrong hotel in the wrong country. And I was like, I was like, I got a chill. I know that sounds so cheesy. My whole body was like, <gasps> and I'm like, this is a movie. I said, this is a movie. I thought it was a movie. I call my team. I'm like, yo, does Reese, did Reese Witherspoon get the rights to the flight attendant yet? <laughs> it's my first question because she gets everything. Right, right. And they're like, actually, no. I'm like, okay, that's the book. I had not read it. And they go, well, you got to read it. I'm like, oh, no, no, I read it. It's good. I had not read it, but I knew something <laughs> about it. It was special. I swear to God. I also knew how long this was going to take. And I was like, right. I'll have time to read it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Like, this is not going to be overnight. So I tell the whole team, like, this is the book. I think it's a movie. I think it's a movie. I was convinced it was a movie. So it was a bidding war. There were other people involved. So it took months to get the rights. And all of a sudden I got the rights and I'm like, now what? And I'm like, okay, the first call talk needs to be with Peter Roth at Warner Brothers, who's such an advocate of mine. And he ran Warner Brothers for years for everybody that doesn't know. He basically was the reason Big Bang got on the air. I mean, he's a huge reason that I'm anything. I, I, he's a mentor. He's just incredible human being. And at the time he was the, like the president of everything in my mind. <laughs> so I knew he didn't have time to see me because he's so busy. So I just didn't ask. I just walked in. And I had the book. I said, I need to meet with it. It was a Friday. Right. And his assistant, Jen, who I still know to this day, I'm like, hey, can Peter see me? And she's like, oh, he has like five minutes. I'm like, I need five minutes. And I knew he'd see me because I'm like a, I'm like a daughter. I knew right, I'd get away right, with it. Right. <laughs> goes, oh, my God. She's like, go in. So I run in. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have this book. I optioned it, and I think it's something. And he looks at it, and he goes, what do you think it is? I go, I kind of think it's a movie. He goes, what about a limited? And I go, Okay. And he goes, please tell me you want to play Cassie. And I go, yeah. He goes, I'll read it this weekend. And I left and he read it that weekend and he called me Monday. He goes, all right, where's your office? Where do you want your office to be? I said, why? He's like, let's do it. And I was like, what? And he was the one, he set me up. You know, I met with writers to write it. I met with Steve. I immediately wanted him to do this. He had such a brilliant idea, Steve Yaki. And then Peter set me up with Berlanti. He's the one, I'd never even met Berlanti. I never met Sarah Schechter who runs the company with, with, um, with Greg. So he's like, you need someone to help you with this. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. I'm like, <laughs> you think? I'm like, but why would they want to do this? Like they've got so many shows. He goes, just go meet with them. So I met with Sarah Schechter and we had this great meeting. I'm like, I'm like, will you do this project with me? Oh, what I do. And she goes, she goes, let me read it. She read it. She goes, we'd love to do it with you. I was, she talked to Greg and I was so shocked they wanted to do it because they had like 700 shows that they were right. um, working on. Just like 700, maybe like 600, but it was a lot. But let me just interrupt for one second because it wasn't, it wasn't just that. It was also... I, I've gotten the sense, right, that you had maybe a little bit of concern that they and or audiences, are they going to just kind of think of you as little Miss Sitcom, right? As well, opposed yeah, that came later when I started filming and I was yeah. like, what am I doing? Who's going to watch this? What am I doing? And also, I'm like the captain. If this ship goes down, I have to go drown with it because this is <laughs> I started this whole nightmare um, no, it was nuts. I, I started panicking later. I got all the stuff by <laughs> ducks in a row. All of a sudden I had this show that I was doing. It was so different. And by the way, the book is so dramatic. There is not a funny line in that book. And so I was really adamant. I'm like, you guys, I can't just go do some weird, like it, I've got to Kaylee eyes this. <laughs> I got to like, and Steve understood what I wanted. Our, our showrunner, he's like, I get it. I said, it's got to have some weird, this has got to be weirdly funny. I know this is a dramatic show. The it's There's some dark stuff, but it's got to be funny. And so they and that, really got that meant playing it multiple, every scene multiple ways, right? You can't, because you don't know, this could be a totally different series with a different cut, right? Correct. I decided my first show out as a producer to choose the hardest tone known to mankind. <laughs> Basically, it wasn't a tone. And every phone call with the network, they're like, what is this? What is this? What is this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, can you just trust me? Can you just trust me? And they did. Bless HBO Max's little heart. They were like, okay, but like, is it funny? Is it sad? Should we be mad? Like, no one knew how to feel. 
which I understand, which ended up being the way it was, which was so cool. But as we shot it, because it was such a weird, unique tone, I found myself, I swear you could do a cut of so many different versions of the show. Um, I found myself doing crying takes, laughing takes, uh, stunty takes over the top in every single scene because I didn't know how this was going to turn out. None of us did. I'm like, I just have to give options. I don't know what this is going to look like. Um, and then it became its own weird thing. And yeah. as I started shooting, I was like, no one's going to watch this. This is going to be like, <laughs> the, this is the death of my career. Well, and it's it's sort of not unfair for you to feel a little disoriented because I guess throughout your whole career up to that point, you had a pretty easy barometer of whether something was working or not, which is, are people laughing, right? Well, when I would shoot flight attendant, I'd make the crew laugh after every single scene. <laughs> so I did that for the whole season. It got real. People were getting stupid part of it, but I'm like, guys, I need laughter and clapping after every single take. And then I felt way more at home. Right. Yeah, it was super weird. Also with the sitcom, you know, immediately it was like, this was, I really was scared. And I, I remember when we were about to air the night before, and I'm not that way. I am the most... Scott, you will never meet a more casual actor. I really okay, mean good, that. Like, good, I don't good. like go home and like, uh, acting. <laughs> I just, it doesn't torture me. Like it's just in my soul. It's what I do. But the night before we aired, I'm like, oh my God, I was so scared that people were going to be like, what is this? Who does she think she is? Like this, this isn't, she is not good. Like she's way in over her head. Um, I was so scared and I was like, I'm not reading one review. I'm not reading anything. And I remember the next morning, it was so early, my amazing publicist, she's like, I know you don't want to read anything, but I got to send you the first thing I saw. And she sends me, it was Hollywood Reporter, and she sent it. And it was this really amazing review. And I just started crying. It was not that it was all dead, but there was a moment of like relief of like, right, sure. I didn't ruin my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was the first of, of many strong reactions from critics. We know the viewership was what it was, which was excellent. And then the one thing which I imagine might have been annoying over 12 years of being on the most popular show on TV is that the TV Academy, you know, was sort of like, were they even watching Big Bang? Like there was a couple, there were a few years where um, I think it was nominated four times for best comedy series. They gave Jim a couple, but basically they kind of, almost held their nose up about it. I don't, or, or who knows what they did. They hated us. Yeah. They were so, so mad at us. <laughs> and, and you in that whole run of, of obviously being excellent were not acknowledged. So how much, how nice was that when finally, not only for acting, but for producing season one, you, you wake up and find out that that's changed. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I never, it was funny. The critics and stuff with Big Bang was such a different experience. The show was huge, but the critics hated us. Like, even though you know, Jim was so, you know, he got so many nominations and the show did get a couple nominations, but it was interesting. Like, we were not beloved in that way. Um, we were loved by the masses and I yeah. still don't quite understand, but they never, like Chuck, I feel like never got the respect for the writing of our show. I'm so glad he's gotten that now for other things, but it was just never got that type of respect. Um, and I never looked at it, you know, I truly felt... I kind of was the straight man on that show, which I know I was able to do funnier stuff as the years went on, but it wasn't my moment. Um, I don't believe, I didn't feel it at the time. I wasn't like, oh, I wish. It, I never looked at it that way. Um, so that's why when Flight Attendant happened and I got this nomination, I, it, it, I, I sobbed. I mean, I, I've been doing this for 30 years. Like I watched the Emmys on TV with my parents every year. Like I dream of presenting there. I would dream of presenting, yeah. not being nominated. I just wanted to present an award. Right. <laughs> Never even imagined I would be like, you right. know, it was, it was unbelievable. And it felt, um, I didn't feel anything other than so grateful. It wasn't that I felt like I deserved it. Look, there are so many actors, so many shows I watch. Where I'm like, Whoa, how do you not watch that show? How did that person not get nominated? What? It the I mean to be narrowed down. There's so many good performances, um, and so I felt it was unbelievable that I got singled out. I, I still to this day, even with the second one, I didn't expect it. I felt like we did our thing season one, and that was it. But well, I mean, but here we are, as as you say, second time in a row. That there's no, the, there's no um, thinking it was a fluke 
now, you know, after after one when it's when it's happened for both. And I guess what what a lot of people have said, and I think probably this must have been your experience, is that in a lot of ways, season two must have been even more of a challenge because it's less of a pre uh, it's less of a story based on something you've had to now act uh, opposite yourself in a way. I mean, you're, you were, when you were, yeah. when you were going a bit nuts in season one, you're seeing somebody else. Now you're acting opposite however many versions of yourself. Um, we've got, uh, you know, Sharon Stone showing up in, in this one. Like it's, it was a totally different beast and in some ways probably harder, right? A hundred percent. Look, a sophomore year is the worst thing you could do. Like, so you, we had one good season. And I, I was the one that was like, you guys, why are you trying to, we need to run away, tie it up in a bow and leave it. Like we actually did it. We got away with this. We need to go away. <laughs> I did not think we should do a season two. I was not convinced. I was terrified. I'm like, oh, we did such a good job. Storyline came out. They're like, oh my God. And so when I hear I'm going to play all these Cassies, I'm like, God, this is like an amazing opportunity as an actor, you know, and the storyline was so fun, but it was 10 times as big. And I was 10 times as nervous to do it because again, you watch so many shows and you're like, God, that first season was so good. And the second season, you know, it's tough. It's really, really hard to do. Um, but I feel like we did the best we could. I thought it was a great season and I, um, I, I will never work with myself in that capacity ever again. <laughs> you full, fully orphan blacked yourself. <laughs> fully orphan blacked myself. We actually worked with their team to to do what we did because it was so crazy. But yeah, it was, like I said, as an actor to be able to do all those different things. Um, but it was really challenging and uh, it paid off though. I mean, what even what our directors did, I mean, what we were doing was like literally science. I don't even know how we did what we did. So I'm so proud of that. We were able to accomplish that and, um, yeah, get a little recognition again, which was, is always so unexpected. I just, I don't take that for granted. Well, with the last minute, just three kind of quick, but big picture questions. Um, could you see yourself doing more flight attendant? Is there, is it over or is there, is there a chance? It's not over. No, I look last year was tumultuous. I was also going through a lot while I was shooting. I was going through a divorce. It was just a heavy, my emotions were high. Cassie's emotions were high. It just, there was no break from it, you know? And I've been very open about that. Um, so if we did another season that won't be happening, so it'll take a lot of that stress yeah. off. <laughs> I, oh my God. Um, you know, I know Steve, we've sent a few texts. I know he's, he said he has a couple ideas that he's r running with our other showrunner and they're talking. I could see us doing it again. Definitely never say never. Um, but not tomorrow. And you're already, as we were talking about before we started recording, you're now in Berlin. I hope it's okay I'm to say. I'm in Berlin. Yes. shooting now this is a film that you're doing yeah now? i'm shooting a film for amazon called role play i'm here um till september and um i just announced i'm doing that show for peacock in november um based on true story which i'm really excited about so you know i'll do that and that'll go in a little to next year and then maybe a little a little a little flight attendant at some point <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh second of these three things just uh have to ask because you are now a person who is very closely associated with HBO Max. And I know you've had a great uh, experience, it sounds like, but just any thoughts on that? There's been a, a bit of brouhaha over the last week or so about do, you know, pulling a, some content that's been uh, in work, in the work, stuff like that. I'm sure you've been uh, following it. Just any, what's your take on that? There's It's divided people quite a bit. I got to be honest with you. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I looked at my phone today and I was like, what is up with HBO? I, I really do not know. My experience with the, with HBO Max has been amazing. They have been so good to us and flight attendant and all the execs there have been incredible. I don't know what's going on over there <laughs> and I don't want to know. Right, I just right, want to right. know that they're going to, that my little plane is going to stay in their hangar. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, and, and final question then I just have to ask, I mean, Prior to a conversation like this, let's say, I mean, I guess does something like this make you stop and think like 30 years is a long time to be doing something? Um, do you ever kind of register that that is how long it's been and how 
far it's come from virtuosity, let's say. <laughs> yes. 30 years is crazy. I, you know, I, I always laugh at the SAG awards, you know, they do that thing at the beginning where they're yes. like, blah, blah, blah. I'm an actor. Right. <laughs> right. I laugh. Cause it's like, it's true though. Like I'm an actor. It's in my soul. I'm going to be an actor forever. I, I knew it as a five-year-old. I cannot believe. I think also I've had an interesting career in the sense that I've always kind of, I've been on a ski lift for 30 yeah. years. Like I've just slowly, right. Kind of gone and kind of passing people. And then some people don't notice. I wasn't that actor that like did this big thing. And all of a sudden I blew up. I was just kind of always there. Um, and I think that I've been lucky in that sense that I haven't had a whiplash. It's just been this natural progression. I played my age every year. I've grown up in front of the camera, um, you know, which is good and bad, but I've truly grown up in front of the camera and I'm just used to it now. And I, I'm nothing else. I am an actor and I love it more than anything. And I'm just grateful I get to keep working. I really mean that. And I don't take a second of it for granted because I know it can leave me in any second. Well, I uh, I suspect that will not be happening and I'm happy it won't be. So thank you so much for uh, doing this and for all the fun entertainment over the years and uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, uh, you. thank you so much. That was really fun. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us.